0: I'm your host Rachel Kuttner and I'm so glad you're here this podcast will help you find ways to live a more authentic life every week I've guests on the show from yoga teachers to meditation instructors everyone to help you feel like the best you I'm so glad you're here and I hope you enjoy this episode Good. All right, you guys. So today on the show, I have Dr. Craig Springer. He's the co-owner of the Good Life Center, licensed psychologist. Um, He does such great work with trauma, anxiety, depression. He's also hosted several webinars around feeling better through COVID. I'm so happy to have him on the show. Craig, um, if you don't mind, I would love if you could just tell everybody um, about you and and what you do.
1: Sure. Thanks for having me on the show as well. Um, So I'm a clinical psychologist, as you mentioned. Um, I'm licensed both in New York and New Jersey, and um, I have a variety of training um, in something called team therapy, uh, which is an acronym, um, and and it really focuses on uh, testing, uh, empathy, Um, and agenda setting, and then methods. Uh, That's what TEAM stands for. Um, I also have uh, training in mindfulness, trauma-informed treatments, um, and I also have advanced training in perinatal mental health. Um, And I work through the Good Life Center for Mental Health, which I co-own. And uh, through that, uh, we treat a variety of different uh, difficulties, including mood problems, so anxiety and depression, as you mentioned. Uh, We also work on relationship difficulties. Uh, We also treat um, problems with um, procrastination and other unwanted habits that people might have. And then prior to actually doing this, I started this about um, almost two years ago, um, started the ideas behind it, and then, and then moving on with uh, developing the practice. Uh, prior to that, I worked at Rutgers University overseeing their doctoral training center. Um, so it was 10 different clinics that I oversaw prior to leaving. Um, we had about 150 doctoral students training at any given time. Um, and simultaneously, I was also the co-director of the New Jersey Coordination Center for Child Abuse and Neglect Forensic Evaluation and Treatment, um, where I worked with uh, a team of people um, looking at quality assurance and quality improvement for uh, child abuse and neglect forensic evaluations that were being done. Um, and then prior to that, I worked at New York Beth Israel Medical Center uh, on an outpatient basis, and I uh, developed a model for treating uh, childhood trauma um, called game based Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, uh, uh, for which I wrote a book about uh, for therapists who are interested in, in integrating structured therapeutic games um, with, um, with evidence-based uh, treatment, cognitive behavioral treatment for, uh, for working with uh, families that um, have dealt with trauma. And um, more recently, that model has actually uh, been further developed and studied uh, at New York University. Um, child Study Center um, and expanded to include a variety of uh, child and adolescent um, difficulties, including anxiety, behavioral difficulties, and the like. Um, and it's, it was based off of work that I did for my doctoral dissertation on uh, using therapeutic games with children with ADHD and families um, of children with ADHD. So um, so those are that's kind of a little bit about my background.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I love the game-based interventions. I think that's so good with kids, um, especially because that's, that's their nature. Like they're, they're naturally playful. And so games um, to use in intervention is, is brilliant. I love that.
1: Yeah. It, it was, it's, it's interesting because um, at NYU, we received a grant and we were able to develop some pilot a pilot um, studies for um, for developing video games. So th- these were um, like various types of games, like board games, card games, and things like that. Um, and we were able to now uh, develop them in form of video games, uh, working with um, one of the schools at NYU uh, for, you know, the computer science department um, to develop those with us. So that's really exciting. And it's um, still in development, but um, we're, we're actually starting to pilot it and, and use it with some of the clients, which is really great.
0: That is great. I love that you're kind of meeting um, kids where they are like kids play video games, you know, that's, that's what they do. So I think that's great. Um, Just with people too, like meet people where they are and, and help them through things that feel good to them. That's great.
1: Yeah, you know, with therapy, we're competing with all the other wonderful things that people have in their lives, right? So, you know, the other things might be might be more enjoyable or more um, desirable. Um, So if we can, we can make treatment desirable and enjoyable as well we're gonna be much more successful um and you know we got to a point where uh kids were begging their parents to come to therapy even when they were sick um so uh, that was a real win not that we wanted to treat them when they were sick so we, we often sent them home but you know to know that a, that a kid's begging their parents to bring them for treatment rather than uh, their parents kind of uh, coercing them into coming uh, you know it was a real success and then the other thing is that you know, sometimes uh, therapeutic treatment's not easy, you know, talking about some difficult things, especially tra- around trauma and such. And if you can make it more accessible, uh, make it more enjoyable, um, you know, it, it makes the treatment a little bit more palatable. Um, and um, and that's so important as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy work. Um, I wish, you know, we can snap our fingers and make things better. Uh, unfortunately, we can't a lot does require work and, you know, sometimes it, it involves, you know, doing some uncomfortable things. Um, and as a result, you know, if we can make it um, we can make it a little bit um, more enjoyable, um, we're going to have you know, better success and people are going to be more, much more interested and willing to do it. And yeah. I found that game, that games also uh, work really well for adults. You know, I like to play games with, um, like, board games and other types of things with uh, with my wife, as well as, you know, when we get together with friends, and it's great to play, you know, scategories and uh, gestures and all these other types of games. So... The whole game-based model really is, is using um, these therapeutic techniques that are, that are really helpful and teaching various things through the games. So they're, they're not utilizing like, games that are out on the market. Um, they're actually therapeutic games specifically designed for teaching and practicing certain skills um, that the research shows are effective.
0: Yeah, I think one of the main reasons that's so effective is because um, games kind of like break down that barrier and allow people to feel more comfortable and then they can connect because they feel comfortable, right? So, you know, when they feel like, okay, this is a safe space, like it's a playful game, like they kind of let go of, um, you know, some of their hangups when it comes to, you know, therapy.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly what I found. I I actually did um, traditional therapy. Um, and also use the game-based approach with, with some families. And I actually asked them, because they, we use both um, modalities, I asked them which one they preferred. And the families almost always said that they, they much preferred the games. I can tell you that with adults, you know, when, when, I, when I told the adults that we were going to be playing games in therapy, they were like, we're adults, we don't play games. Um, we're not going to play at all. We're just going to sit and watch. Um, and within, within minutes, uh, they were playing. And that, there's a healthy competition aspect to a lot of the games. So um, as a result, they, they kind of get into it, right? And they, they want to do as well as anybody else. And they, they, they might want to exceed anybody else, right? So they're sharing things and discussing things in the first session um, with these games that wouldn't have happened, you know, without them. And um, often would take three or four sessions to get to the same place. So it was really phenomenal that you can use the power uh, of competition and, and games to uh, to really help people feel comfortable, even from, from the first um, session on.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. I also just really like um, the concept of play. I feel like play is such, you know, an underutilized thing in, in culture, especially like pre-COVID when everybody was so stressed and overscheduled and Um, I don't think people take enough time to play. And I think it's a great lesson that, you know, we can learn from kids because they're always playing and they're always joyful. And, and how great would it be to play more and incorporate play into our daily lives just to feel better. Right. Like, do you, um, do you see like, what are, what are some of the best things that you see um, people incorporate into their lives to, you know, feel more joyful
1: You know, I I think that there's a number of things, you know, one thing is, is being in the present moment. You know, Mm -hmm. we have tremendous pain that's caused by us focusing on the future. And oftentimes what we're thinking about is what the worst case scenario is. And that creates tremendous amounts of anxiety and stress. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, and you know, if we focus on the past, a lot of times we're feeling grief or we're feeling guilt or we're feeling, um, depression or sadness. Um, because we, you know, we wish things were different, um, and we, we miss what we 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 didn't have back then. Um, when we focus on the present, um, we're really focusing on things that we have control over that we can change you can't change the future because we don't know what's going to happen. We can't change what already happened in the past, Uh, but we have control over what we do today and and what's right in front of us. Um, And so that's one of the things that I, I think is so important. You know, another, another area is, is gratitude and and really appreciating what we have right now. Um, And, you know, not what we wish we had or what we wish was different, but what we have in our life, Um, what we, Uh, um, can appreciate you know that we have that maybe other people are not as fortunate to have um you know that's that's such an important piece of of feeling happy and feeling fulfilled you know um the other the other thing that we can do is take care of ourselves um i I see tremendous amount of people that don't sleep well don't eat well um don't exercise you know things that we know uh keep our body healthy and keep our mind healthy um and you know Taking the time to really take care of yourself in, in, in the various ways that you physically need uh, to, 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 be, um, to feel good and to, um, to feel fulfilled and to make sure your body is functioning well is, is so important. And the other piece of it is, is that, you know, it's also about um, engaging with other people, especially during COVID. And I think that people have been really socially isolated each other. Uh, people have, you know, took social distance to the extreme in the sense that they all they, the only person or people they speak to are the people that they might live with. Um, and if they don't live with anybody, that's even creates even more social distance, right? Or, or into personal distance. Rather than scheduling time to talk to the people that you know, they're living with and and really engage with them on on things that are important to them and sharing with them how they feel. But also scheduling uh, virtual opportunities, you know, virtual meetings with other people um, so that um, they can still meet with friends and engage with them and, and feel connected. So just because we have to be socially distant doesn't mean that or you know, maintain social distance doesn't mean that we have to have interpersonal distance in the sense of not being able to interact with people that we care about and we love, um, and that might be family, friends, or you know, coworkers and the like. You know, another another important area I think is um, that we not only um, you know we, that we we try not to allow ourselves to. Um, focus on. Um, we have a whole lot of different distortions that we, we kind of use in our, our lives to kind of um, evaluate situations. And it's important for us to be able to distinguish between distorted thoughts and non distorted thoughts or objective thoughts. And, you know, oftentimes we believe our thoughts as 100% true and that they're objective reality. And what we end up uh, if we look at them very carefully, we end up, we, make, we end up realizing that we're making a lot of assumptions about um, things that are, are not necessarily true, in fact, are are wrong in a whole whole lot of ways. So for instance, you know we may do something called mind reading. We may think we know what another person's thinking um, when in fact, we have no idea. Um, instead of asking the other person or trying to inquire into what the other person's thinking, we may assume that we know. Um, And that causes tremendous amounts of pain for us too, because then we have complete misses, right? We, we end up, you know, thinking somebody is thinking something badly about us or, you know, someone um, is not really uh, doesn't really care about us when in fact they very well may. Um, And it's important for us not to allow our thoughts or, or, um, our our negative uh, distorted thoughts to impact um, our our beliefs about ourselves and and others. So, you know, that relates, that particular uh, distortion relates directly to um, our ability to to communicate with the people that we care about and and love and, you know, being able to um, talk to them and and share with them, you know, how we feel um, using like I feel statements as well as, you know, leaning into their experience and trying to understand what they're experiencing. And, and that, that relates both to what they may be experiencing in terms of their, um, you know, their thoughts, but also what they might be feeling um, so that we truly understand the other person's perspective so that we're having a dialogue with the other person. Um, and, and actually, that what, we're, what we're having the dialogue about is actually what the other person is, is experiencing and thinking about, not what we perceive they might be. And, and, and in fact, we may be wrong. And, and that causes tremendous amount of pain in relationships. So I, I think those are a few things that I would say are, are really important uh, for people to be able to, to do um, to both improve how they feel um, themselves, but also improve their ability to relate to others Um, and feel more fulfilled and and happier because I think that both how we feel about ourselves, what we do for ourselves, as well as how we feel about our interactions with others um, create either tremendous amounts of pain or on the other side of things cause us tremendous amounts of joy.
0: Yeah. You had so many good gems in there. Um, But one of the things I, I really wanted to highlight is um, you know, the concept of don't believe everything you think, I think, um, you know, just having that insight about how your thoughts can really, um, you know, distort your reality is powerful for people. I feel like, um, that's something that people will take home because, you know, we, we have this constant dialogue in our head all day long, but maybe the dialogue needs to be flipped. You know, I think it's great to help people see like, okay, you know, when you shine a light on a certain part of the situation, you can see the situation entirely different. So, um, what are your favorite, um, I guess, cognitive uh, behavioral therapy tips to give people when it comes to, you know, not believing everything they think and and maybe needing to flip that script.
1: Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I, I like, I like how you put it, you know, I think that we, we have this tendency to, um, to look at our thoughts and and evaluate them and determine that, you know, there's truth in them um, and and believe them a hundred percent. And, you know, the, the first tip that I would say is try to come up with an alternative thought um, mm-hmm. to dispute the original thought. And, and the whole idea behind that is it has to be a thought that actually um, goes against that, that negative thought that you have, um, you know, is, is, is less distorted, but that you also believe 100%. Right. You, you can't just come up with an alternative thought that um, that may not be accurate um, and that you don't really believe because that wouldn't be very effective. Right. Because that's just coming up with a random thought. So it's really important um, to, to try to figure out whether is there another way of looking at the situation? Um, is this the only way? And if it's not the only way, how do I look at it in a more objective light? Um, and, and, and that's something that I would, that I would recommend. And, and that's a pretty straightforward kind of way of, of looking at it. The other thing that I, that I would say, um, that people can do is kind of think about, you know, the, the thoughts that they have in their head and question, ask themselves this question, would they, if that, if another person that they were close friends with had that thought, you know, let's say it's a thought about themselves being ugly, or a thought about themselves um, you know, never being happy in the future. And that's the thought that they have. They can ask themselves, if a, if a close friend who's similar to them had that thought, what would they say to them? Would they challenge that thought in any way? would they, would they agree with it? Or would they give them advice um, and let you know help them find evidence, Against that thought, that, that that thought is not true. That they're not going to always be unhappy, or that they're not, you know, that they're not ugly, right? Or they're not, um, you know, bad in some way. So, you know, all of these things, you know, can be challenged. It's a matter of figuring out how exactly to challenge them, right? And and you know, those are a couple strategies. Another strategy would be look for look at the evidence, evaluate the evidence, um, you know, evidence. Is there evidence for that thought, the accuracy of it, or, or is there evidence against that thought? It's a, you know, evaluating whether it's an accurate thought or whether there are actual holes in that thought, whether um, there may be difficulties. How we you know, challenge our thoughts are going to be dependent on what distortions we're using in that, and, and there's a number of distortions that we commonly use. So um, it, it's hard to kind of be ge- generic in, in kind of, you know, the technique that might work for a particular, responding to a particular thought. But those are just some basic kind of strategies that I use in my practice and, and working with people to kind of help them with um, looking at their thoughts, evaluating their thoughts, and, um, and, you know, making their thoughts a little bit less distorted and, yeah. and more positive.
0: Definitely, I love that. Um, I really like the idea of okay. <laughs> would you say this to a friend? Because I think a lot of people develop this um, negative self-talk, and it's really um, like paralyzing for them. Because you know, it's it's one thing to like beat yourself up every day in your head, <laughs> but it's another thing to like believe everything you think. And when you really let that affect your self-worth, it, it shows up in different ways. And it's just, it's, it's great that you help, um, kind of like break that apart and, and give people solutions. Sure. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's, it's such an important thing that we, we, um, we realize that, you know, not everything that we see is how we see it. Right? Exactly. That, that we have to look at things, you know, take things with a grain of salt, even our thoughts, which is probably the hardest thing for people to do, right? It's one thing to not believe other people, but to question your own way of thinking you know, is really not an easy thing. And you know, My true belief is that um, our emotions come directly from our thoughts. A situation doesn't cause us to feel a certain way. The mm-hmm. same situation, can, you know, two people could feel completely different ways. Um, when they're uh, when they go through that same situation uh, it's really how we're interpreting that situation what we're thinking you know, you know, as I mentioned, you know, one of the things that we do is, is sometimes we use something called foreign fortune telling, right? And fortune telling is that uh, this idea that we know what the future is going to bring. So, you know, if we, if, if something happens in our life, right, we may think, well, you know, this might mean that I'm never, you know, let's say, you know, you get into a fight with a spouse and you think, well, this is definitely going to result in, in us getting divorced. Mm. Well, we have no evidence that that's, really what's going to happen, right? We've gone down this really bad, to to this really bad place in our mind to make the assumption that the worst case scenario is now going to happen because of this one thing. So it's it's a matter then of of recognizing that we really don't know. And and the the contrary or the positive, less distorted thought may be, well, I'm not sure what this, what's going to happen based on this. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to give it my best shot to see if we can, heal the situation or, or we can repair, um, what happens so that, um, we can, we can continue to have a happy life together. Right. So there, there's lots of different ways of, of kind of responding and and utilizing, um, you know, our, um, you know, our, our positive self-talk to, to respond. And clearly if you, you, if you use the positive one that I, the, the positive thought that I just said versus the negative, the original negative thought, we're going to feel different emotions, right? Mm. So if we initially think, you know, this is going to result in a divorce, we may feel sad, we may feel anxious, we may feel um, lonely or uh, unloved, or we might feel, you know, angry and frustrated, right? But if we think that, you know, we're going to, there's no reason to believe that and that there is opportunity here for repair, we might feel hopeful, Right. We might feel a sense of, um, of happiness and because we can we can make things better and that, you know, that we can we can feel that, you know, we're going to get to a place where we can feel joy again. So it, it's a very different result um, in terms of our feelings when we have when we have these different uh, ways of looking at the same situation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you know the ability to frame these situations and and choose thoughts according to the way we want to feel really gives people their power back. And what I mean by that is, you know, then they realize they have power over the situation and they don't have to be helpless to, you know, the way that they think about things. Um, what I think is interesting is, I think you know, trauma kind of brings on these distorted thought patterns. What's your opinion on that?
1: you know I, I definitely you know think when we look at trauma um, well trauma you know is an interesting um, situation because trauma may not always be coded as trauma from day one mm-hmm. uh, you know with trauma anytime we we bring up that traumatic memory we have an opportunity and we often recode it in some way right so for instance let's say something happened um, let's say you know, I guess, you know, the most recent event currently is um, a tropical storm, right, that that, that Mm -hmm. went through our area. And, um, you know, let's say we witnessed uh, a tree fall um, and hit um, somebody. Um, And, and, you know, it it could be a very traumatic situation. Um, And we didn't actually see the tree hit somebody. We we made that assumption. You know, the tree fell down um, and someone was nearby and we think that maybe it, it hurt somebody. Um, so, um, you know, we code this as a, as a very, uh, traumatic event. Um, and, um, in our minds, we, we may feel anxious and upset and, you know, a lot of, uh, we may have, you know, recurrent thoughts about this event, um, in our heads, we may have flashbacks and actually see it in our heads and our minds. Right. Um, and that would be a trauma, a traumatic reaction. However, you know, if someone saw the tree fall, but wasn't sure that it actually hurt somebody. They may not code it as a trauma. In fact, they might code it as an event, you know, an unfortunate event that happened, but not necessarily that, you know, something, some life threatening event happened. Right. They, they might just code it as, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's no evidence to suggest that something really bad happened to someone. Right. And as a result, um, it may not be coded as a trauma. However, um, with that said, let's say they brought it up to someone that, that also saw that happen, but actually knew the end result. So when the person saw the tree fall, didn't know it hit, believed that, had no belief that it hit anybody, it may not have been coded as a trauma. But when someone else, when they spoke to someone else and the person told them that it hit somebody and killed somebody, or they read it in a paper, that situation now that they saw can be recoded and become mm-hmm. traumatic. Right. So when we when we actually talk about it or think about it or hear about it, um, a situation that wasn't previously coded as trauma could become tra- can become traumatic, and then we may have those flashbacks or recurrent thoughts and all those different things that we often see with trauma. Um, so that's that's a tricky thing with, with trauma that it may or may not be coded as trauma from, you know, as a traumatic response from day one. Uh, it may be coded that way once we get additional information or someone else interprets it um, as, tra- as traumatic for us. Um, so that causes tremendous amounts of pain for people when they do code it in, in, as trauma, in a traumatic way. And when they've experienced trauma, um, we can, we, we can start to see the world in a very negative way. We can start to see, um, you know, any storm is dangerous, right? We may become fearful of storms in general. We may be worried that, um, something bad is going to happen, that, um, it may, expand out and we may start to think that, um, you know, just walking outside can be dangerous, um, because it's possible that a storm could, could pass through at any point and it can become generalized to a whole lot of things and actually prevent us from, um, from, from living our lives, um, the way we had been used to or the way we would like to. Um, so, you know, it, it's, um, there's a number of things that we can do to kind of help ourselves, um, at that point, to kind of overcome that, uh, but trauma reactions can become extremely powerful um, and um, prevent us from from living fulfilling lives uh, because uh, we hold on to that memory um, so intensely, and that memory becomes generalized to other things in our life.
0: Yeah, I definitely think um, trauma can change the brain, and and um, you know, I've read some things about how when you experience anxiety because of trauma that, you know, your brain becomes wired differently. And so like you said, you, you become more apt to react differently to certain situations. So, you know, with all the work you've done, I guess, what are some of the most effective interventions for relieving anxiety? I know you named a lot of great resources, um, changing the way you think, taking care of yourself, but I guess what, what's one of Um, your favorite interventions or maybe two of your favorite interventions?
1: So with anxiety and and trauma included as as an anxiety disorder or trauma, traumatic uh, stress as an anxiety disorder, um, the the most effective and necessary treatment for, for anxiety is exposure. Um, it's exposure to the, uh, traumatic or anxiety provoking stimuli. Um, this is often very hard and very difficult. So talking about, you know, in terms of trauma, talking about the experience, allowing yourself to recode it in a way that is less traumatic right? And, and less emotionally eluded in a negative way, you know, your negative thoughts would, would be considered in that. And obviously you would kind of look at what's accurate and, and inaccurate in the way that you interpret things. Um, that's similar for other types of anxiety as well, right? So if you have anxiety about, uh, going up in high places, right. Um, actually getting on a ladder and climbing or, or climbing a mountain is going to be the most effective and, and and necessity, not necessarily climbing a mountain or climbing a ladder, but going up in high places is going to be a necessity to get over that anxiety. Um, just um, using cognitive methods may help with becoming less anxious with actually doing the behavioral piece part of treatment, but that's the behavioral piece. So, you know, when we talk about um, usually cognitive therapy, where, now these days talking about more of a cognitive behavioral therapy framework and the behavioral piece is actually the action, taking action and going out and doing something. What you're actually doing is you're helping your body realize and your mind realize that it's not as bad as we think it is. We're creating this scenario in our minds that something horrible is going to happen. And by actually taking the action and, and, and showing our bodies that nothing horrible happens, the anxiety dissipates. It may take a little bit of time and, and you could do a gradual exposure where you, you gradually, you know, for, for fear of heights, let's say, you go up higher and higher, you know, each day or, or each week until um, you get to a point where it, no matter what height you go to, it really is not scary anymore. Um, or um, in something called flooding, you you go up to the highest point, um, on day one, um, what I usually do is I use some cognitive techniques first, um, and maybe mindfulness meditation or other deep, um, progressive muscle relaxation, deep breathing, um, to kind of help on the front end to kind of help give you some, uh, some, techniques um, that can help with actually wanting and being willing to do some of those exposures, but the exposures are the, are the necessity in getting over um, any type of anxiety that someone experiences.
0: Yeah. I think that's the best understanding that, you know, people can get from this is that sometimes your mind plays some crazy games with you. And if you, f- if you follow along with those, you know, those distorted thought patterns and you go down that rabbit hole, you're going to be in a rabbit hole. Like you're going to be stuck. Right. But if you choose to understand that you have some control over the way you think and that you have the ability to change your thoughts, like I said before, you really give people their power back.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and they feel that way, you know, uh, most times, you know, we, I often work with people and they, they feel, they feel so empowered afterwards. They feel, they feel like they now they can accomplish Anything, um, You know, not just the problem, you know, in relation to the problem that they originally had, but they just feel like, you know, now they can go out and, and do some of the things they've wanted to do all their life because nothing can stop them. You know, it's almost like they've, they've overcome their biggest fear. So these, these other things are kind of simple and easy for them now. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is great. I mean, that, there's nothing better in the world, actually, that um, I get to experience than, you know, watching people, you know, and heal, you know, and, and, and feel good and, and experience, you know, the joy that life can bring. You know, people come into my office really sad, really anxious, and, and they just think that their, their life will, won't get better. Um, it can't get better. It's, uh, you know, they're beyond help, you know. And, um, you know, a few months later, um, their, their view uh, and, and their feeling is you know, are often completely different. And then they're at a point where they feel like um, not, nothing can stop them anymore. Right. And, and it's just, it's exhilarating for me. And, and, and I also feel very honored, you know, that people, you know, have that level of trust and are willing to share, um, you know, some of some things with me that they don't share with anyone else. And I, and I, and I really feel honored that, you know, people are willing to do that uh, open up in that way. Um, take that chance. I mean, it is a chance. A lot of people feel very comfortable with what they know and what they, what they've always done. And, you know, therapy is one of these things that, um, is different, you know, it's different than anything else that we do in life. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm so happy, uh, to go on that journey with people.
0: Yeah. I think people who go to therapy are very brave and they're, they're some of the hardest workers too, because I think if you're battling things like in your own mind and with yourself every day, then you're a freaking warrior. <laughs> like yeah. you, you are a brave person, especially when you're willing to open up and, and be vulnerable and, and change. I think change is hard. A lot of people get stuck in their ways. And so to change patterns is very difficult for people. So um, I actually have a question just to go off of that. I know that you see a lot of transformations in your work, so what, um, what do you say is like the typical time, I know everybody is different, that you get to see some of these transformations? And I, I know your answer to this, but if you could just tell everybody, like what's the key piece to, um, you know, getting through those transformations? Yeah,
1: you know, so, um I would say the average person that I work with is. I usually work with them for about four to six months. Um, I do weekly therapy with them, um, and uh, you know, some people are faster. Some people take longer. You know, there are a couple things that I think are, are so important and, and 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 determine you know how long things take. You know, one big one is uh, motivation right? And there's two levels of motivation. There's, there's one, the motivation that's required to actually do what you need to do to get, get over whatever difficulty you're having, right? And, you know, so for anxiety, you have to be motivated to and, and willing, right, to do those exposures. As I mentioned, exposures are the key for that. And the second, the second part is, is, is one that people wouldn't even expect, that um, is an issue. But I, I learned about this and and um, realized that this is such an important piece, which is you have to be motivated to or and, and interested in actually having that change take place. And, you know, one might say, well, why would they come to you if they didn't, if they don't want to get better or they don't want to not, not uh, experience the symptoms that they, they had been. And my answer to that is, is, is that, you know, Often our symptoms and emotions, um, you know, say, you know, there's reason for it. It, It's it's not that these things have just uh, come about for no reason, right? So, you know, let's say for instance, um, someone is uh, mourning uh, the the death of of someone they they love and and that person died a long time ago and they've been um, still experiencing sadness and grief as a result of that, you know, maybe eight years later. Um, and we wonder, you know, um, you know, you, anybody would say to me, you know, of course they want to feel better. Of course they don't want to feel sad anymore. It's been eight years. And um, you know, the reason why someone might want to continue to grieve and to feel sad is because they don't want to lose that memory of that person. They don't really want to hold on to that person in some way, and they might be fearful of, of giving up that depression or sadness. and. Um, you know, until they realize that, and, and until they acknowledge that they can still have that memory and still show their love for that person in other ways, they may fight tooth and nail um, to keep to keep that sadness and depression in place, and that's what might may have kept it there all that all those years to begin with. Yeah. So, so there's this. What is it going to look like when I? lose my symptoms or when I no longer experience these negative emotions. And do I want that? You know, what would that mean? You know, because the, these negative emotions also say something really positive about us and mean a lot to us in some ways. So it's acknowledging both of those, the, the motivation that, that's necessary to change, but also the motivation that's necessary to want what that change will bring about.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's and hard it, for people to let go. And, and like you said before, it's hard for people to get uncomfortable. And when they're really holding on to maybe their thoughts or memories and it, they don't want to let go, then they can't move on, right? Like they're kind of stuck.
1: Right. And, you know, same thing with anxiety, right? You know, it's, it's, it's similar in the sense that, you know, anxiety does prevent us from doing things, but it may also prevent us from thing, doing things that we don't want to do. Like we have no desire to do some of these things. And it actually gives us an excuse or a way of communicating to other people that we don't want this. Right. So it may be hard for us to say we don't want to do this. So the anxiety gives us a way of communicating that in a different way. Um, And and we may not want to change that. Right. And, you know, we may say, well, I, 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 you know, let's say, for instance, you're scared of driving. Right. Well, let's say you prefer your spouse to drive. You just, you just prefer your spouse to drive. Well, you know, if you're anxious, then you can't drive, right? That's your reason for not driving rather than having to tell your spouse that I prefer you to drive instead of me when I can and I'm capable of doing it, right? And and we may think of these things like, oh, you know, come on, that's that can't be the reason. But truthfully, I, I you know, I've seen it time and time again that, you know, there are good reasons why uh, people have these. Um, emotions and, and, and these symptoms. And, you know, I, I think we have to, um, you know, acknowledge that. And, and that's what I do it, you know, early on in my treatment before I actually start giving methods for, for treating anything. We talk about, you know, those two types of, um, two types of resistance, the, um, the resistance and the lack of motivation possibly for actually getting things done. And then also um, the, the lack of motivation for the outcome. Um, And and, and once we address both of those and, and it makes sense for us to move forward, that's when we start working on changing things.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I am just so happy that you shared all of this wisdom with the listeners. I think um, there was a lot here for people, especially those who are maybe experiencing trauma or anxiety. Um, I'd love if you could just let everybody know where to find you, especially now um, during this time when telehealth is so amazing. I think it's great that people can, you know, access telehealth, wherever they are, um, and fit it into their schedule. So, yeah, if you could just plug in all of your information so people could find you.
1: Sure. So um, I'm at the Good Life Center for Mental Health in Cranford, New Jersey. Um, prior to COVID, we were practicing mostly uh, in person um, and with the capability of doing telehealth as well. Um, now uh, the practice is fully uh, utilizing telehealth. The research really shows that it's um, as effective for most problems as in-person therapy. Um, so we don't see a risk of, of putting people um, in harm's way, potential harm's way uh, from COVID. Um, once COVID um, gets more under control, uh, we will be opening up our office again. And I do miss practicing in my office because uh, I set it up to be you know, very calm and relaxing and, mm-hmm. and, and hopefully enjoyable for people to be at. Um. You know, so, but right now, uh, we are available, um, utilizing telehealth, um, and, um, and people can, can reach out, um, and contact us. Um, they can go to our website at www.goodlifecenternj.com. Um, they can also call us at 908-956-7880. Um, and, uh, we can also, um, you know, be, I can be emailed um, at Springer at nj.com uh, or you could email the main email address at info at goodlifecenternj.com. So those are some good ways of contacting us.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate all of the wisdom. Like I said, I think um, you gave people some great advice and um, yeah, thank you so much for your time and, and having a conversation with me today.
1: It was really great being on. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Hey friend, thanks for checking out this episode of the Solutions Podcast. For more episodes just like this, be sure to subscribe. And if you want to follow us on Instagram, we're at solutionspod. Thanks again for listening and be sure to check out our next episode.